This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado, The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today wherever you listen to podcasts. Blue Wire. With the second pick in the 2017 NFL Draft, the Chicago Bears select Mitchell Trubisky. Trubisky stepping up, fires down the sideline. Robinson makes the catch. From the Raiders to the Bears, Khalil Mack, now officially in Chicago. Brought down, Khalil Mack. Welcome to the Chicago Shuffle Podcast. I am your host, Zach Lee, here on a Thursday night. Talking about your four and one Chicago Bears who just somehow beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom, I don't know how to count to four Brady at Soldier Field. Final score 20 to 19. There is a shitload to talk about. Uh, I am now clicking the button for this podcast will contain extreme language. Lots of swears tonight. Some good swears, some bad swears, lots of fucking swears. So here is life as a Bears fan right now, and you tell me if any of this resonates with you. At the end of the first quarter, I hated football. I hated football. I definitely hated the Bears. I hated Matt Nagy. I hated what I'd seen on the field. The level of frustration... Um, you kind of start to wonder if maybe you shouldn't be watching or maybe you've like failed to find the joy uh, in the world. I, I remember um, this is completely off topic, but uh, any of you who know Barstool Big Cat, he's just the best and tweeted out something great yesterday about uh, the center field catch. Uh, to end the game by Cody Bellinger in L.A. And immediately somebody added him to say, like, oh, I don't know, it's pretty, pretty normal catch. You've no cap at a pretty good time. And his response was very apropos, which is like, can we not appreciate anything anymore? So in the spirit of that, I'd love to begin this podcast talking about only good things. Let's create some structure. And that structure is going to be only good things. And then we're going to have a period of conversation that is about less good things, things that uh, uh, um, we should maybe improve or think about or work on. But let's just get right back to the beginning of this, which is good things. 
first of all, how nice is it to see the Khalil Mack, capital K, capital M, 52 back on the field. And it's not like he hasn't been good. It's not like he hasn't had amazing games, but he's been questionable all year with a knee issue that came up in August. We've now found out. And this was the first week where he's had full participation on uh, the last practice before game day. And my God, the dude fucking wrecked it all day long. First of all, I'd just like to, to point out the sack he had of Brady where tr- rookie Tristan Wirfs, who's, you know, good 350-ish pounds, uh, continued to try to hold on to Mac after the sack. And Khalil Mack uses kind of like a hooked arm to judo flip this man onto the ground. And he did it the way that I would um, shrug about not getting four ketchups in my to-go bag of fries. No big deal. Just, hey, uh, you go on the ground now. I'm sort of like amazed by the guy and certainly take him for granted. Uh, he It was an incredible performance by him. To the point that, I mean, the stats never really highlight how much of an effect he has. I suppose the PFF pressures would do something for that. But this is one of those ones where you can finally look at, you know, the numbers and go, okay, he, he yes, he did. He had two sacks, two tackles for a loss, and a pass defense. He should have had three sacks, but got flagged for uh, roughing the passer when he took Tom Brady to the ground and, I think we all know now that you cannot take Tom Brady to the ground. And in the same, you know, token, just as we kind of look at this here, ooh, something I really wanted to do today is start to do the negiism of as we go through this thing. So as we go through this thing of a podcast, I did want to highlight, you know, just how much pressure got to Tom Brady over the course of the night. And so uh, three sacks should have been four. Uh, Six tackles for loss overall, and that's going to be more about the run game. And then uh, just QB hits, you know, eight QB hits. And I got to tell you, that's not your normal eight QB hits. Tom Brady gets the ball out and falls down frequently when he sees somebody in his face. So to knock him eight times, look, you you can't say that the Bears had that much pressure and knocked him on his ass that many times and not make the correlation and extrapolate it to him holding up four fingers at the end of the game when the rest of his teammates are walking off the field. Maybe I'm not suggesting concussion, eh, none of that. Just like the dude was out of sorts and he was uh, uncomfortable, to say the very least, in the pocket the entire night. So good thing number one is Khalil Mack and to a certain extent the Bears' pressure that they were able to exert on Tom Brady. After that, I really would like to just give Kyle Fuller a shout-out for finally, finally uh, making a game-breaking play for the defense. And the defense has been really, really good all year. They've held the uh, Indianapolis Colts to 19 points. They've held, strangely, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to 19 points. It's sort of unequivocal that they're among the five to six best defenses in the NFL right now. You'd go, this is off the cuff, as anybody listening to this would understand that all of this shit is off the cuff. But right off the bat, you'd have to say the Indianapolis Colts are among the best, not just because they beat down the Bears, 
and they did. It hurt. But uh, they've beat down pretty much everybody that they've played so far this year. And even if you say, well, they haven't really played, you know, a good offense yet, they're still number one in DVOA, and that's, you know, adjusted. So, hmm. And then uh, Tampa Bay, who the Bears played again tonight. Uh, I'd have to say that's one of the better defenses in the league right now. Then you look at the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think unequivocally they're amongst the best. And then, you know, you'd say San Francisco, but they're really injured. Uh, the New Orleans Saints usually have kind of a bulldog defense, but they've been kind of up and down this year and have given up some big-time points. The Ravens, really good normally, and, and certainly I think will round into form as the year goes along, but leaky in the secondary. And strangely... Maybe not, given like the level of talent we're seeing on the team, but and Ron Rivera going in there, a defensive head coach, is that the uh, Washington team with no names, they've been actually really good on defense so far this year. So, you know, uh, the Bears defense is really, you know, right among them. And yet there are things about their performance that lead me to believe that if they don't get it fixed soon, are going to continue to affect the Bears' ability to win games down the line. But I promised you we would save the negative for later. Let's – oh, no, not negative. The less good for later, the good for now. And so let's kind of go through this thing a little bit more. So the entire first quarter ends. It's bad. Whatever. We, can't, we have to give this some context. The Bears can't convert on a third down. There's a third and two just to begin the game. There couldn't be an easier rollout pass. Little rollout to Allen Robinson on a pick play. Foles airmails it, and the Bears are punting right off the bat. And the vibes just suck. They just suck. And I don't know if I'm projecting that out and picking that up, but it just seems like there's no energy. There's no trust that, you know, we have a plan that this team cannot handle and isn't ready for. There's none of that at all. It's, oh, God, let's try to get a first down. Did we get We didn't. We have to punt. Let's punt. We've punted again. Back to defense. And that's the vibe. I hate that vibe, but that's certainly the vibe. And then the Bears, uh, you know, on defense, kind of a bend, don't break early on. Can't really get pressure. The Bucks are moving. They're getting their third down conversion. So incredibly frustrating first quarter and first half of the second quarter. And at that point, I'll just kind of come clean and say that I hated everything that we've done, that it's no longer a Mitch thing, that Mitch was kind of a shield for the game plans, for the construct of the offense, for the overall execution, for the play calling of Nagy, and that the spotlight is clearly on him now as the fault in this system. We're going to get back to that. But the Bears get the ball. They get some momentum. And then, God bless America, a wheel route appears. The wheel route returns. Ricky O'Donnell of SB Nation would love to be here to talk about the wheel route. It immediately works. Wheel route to Patterson goes right down to the goal line. And then, you know. Crazier things have happened. Not quite sure what they are. It's 2020, you know, a lot of kind of crazy things are going on out there, I hear. Really not on the internet much these days. But still, David Montgomery takes the ball on second down. 
and he runs in for a fucking rushing touchdown. By the way, that was the Bears' first of the year. By the by the way, the Bears were the last team in the NFL to have a rushing touchdown. Finally, finally. And that was really the beginning of the change, which was the Bears needed to come into this game and convert on third down and convert in the red zone. And consequently, they needed to get off the field on third down uh, when in that position on defense. And that was really that's the key to most NFL games. It's not like a revelatory secondary statistic or anything. But the Bears have been so bad on third down and so bad in the red zone that that was really kind of the long and short of what this game was going to be about, at least in terms of how they performed on offense. So seven points right there. And then the Buccaneers get the, the ball back. You're feeling good. It's 10 to 7. We're kind of in this now. We've put points on the board in the first half. We're not going to have a three or a six on the board going into the tunnel, or God forbid, another zero. We've actually got a seven on the board. Miracle. And then Kyle Fuller comes across the middle on a third down and delivers the very cleanest, very hardest hit one could possibly deliver with their shoulder to the chest, exactly the way it's coached up exactly the way the NFL would ask you to do it. That is the best defense you could play at this time in 2020, given what the rules are. And of course it drew a flag because it was too hard of a hit. That's really what the rule is. You can't hit a guy too hard. I give the, uh, the referees and you know, I know, I know some of the referee names, some of the bigger offenders, but in this particular instance, I don't remember the referee crew. I give them a shitload of credit for talking, for huddling up and saying, you know what? That was actually just a hard legal hit. It wasn't an illegal hit. And picking up the flag, my God, I was ready to go ballistic. Not only did that happen, but the play gets reviewed, and it turns out that the Tampa Bay ball carrier, uh, I want to say Vaughn, but don't hold me to that actually made a football move collected the ball made a football move and then got blowed up by Kyle Fuller fumble picked up by uh what's the guy's name again uh I forget because he's a fucking ghost on the field Robert Quinn his one play of the day and the Bears are in business basically in the red zone again immediately turn around and throw to Jimmy Graham in the end zone which if I were a defensive coordinator, I would be looking at Jimmy Graham first, uh, first, second, maybe third, and then some A-Rob, and then everybody else can be left open because they're non-factors. Jimmy Graham makes an incredible catch, and I want you to go back. If you haven't seen it, just stop this. No, don't stop this. Keep this playing. I'll talk along with you. He goes up. He's trying to body out. He gets his left arm grabbed and pulled down which is fucking pass interference. I know he can't see things in this second. That's how it's coached up. If you make it a bang-bang play, they're not going to call it. But he gets his left arm pulled down. He catches it with his right one-handed catch. It is a beautiful touchdown. And all of a sudden, extra point good, it's 14-10, to 10 and it's halftime. Unbelievable that the Bears are up 14-10 to 10 at the half, but they are. The pro- And... And they're getting the ball in the third quarter. The problem is it's the third quarter and it's going to be third quarter bears. So we'll get to that. We'll come back to that. It's okay. But for now, let's get to the rest of the good stuff, shall we? So 
Let's skip ahead. Let's skip ahead into the fourth quarter. Third quarter, bad. Fourth quarter, beginning to get better. And the Bears do string together a drive, a 12-play drive that went 59 yards that ended in a field goal. Uh, yeah. Uh, and and that was, again, I, I'm trying to keep it positive here, at least in this segment. The wheel route to Patterson, just the, for the first time kind of all year, you could see the offense generating some momentum and the defense being on their heels. And you're like, okay, they've really got one going here. And it's a real bummer that it didn't end in a touchdown. We'll get into that in a little bit, but there's still points on the board there. So got a lead back, you know, Tampa Bay comes out in the third quarter, right after the bears go three and out, they reclaim the lead 16 to 14. It was really important that the bears come back and, and, you know, put some points on the board. So, it just became that kind of game. It's a field goal game. It's a back and forth game. So it's 17, 16 bears. They get the ball back. Uh, they immediately have a completely awful drive. Uh, five plays, eight yards, punt it right back. There's about three minutes left in the game. And my God, the defense absolutely shuts down Tampa Bay who run 20 seconds off the clock, collect negative two yards and get the ball back to Chicago. And then it becomes the final drive. And it really is just about, uh, I think they get the ball at midfield. Ted Ginn <laughs> receives a punt. Uh, and I've never seen a more tentative punt return in my life. It looked like me returning it. He was just like, I don't want to be doing this. Uh, I am doing it because I have to, because it gives me a chance to be active, but this sucks. So I'm just going to run forward six yards and fall down. When I don't blame him, because... God forbid the ball come out at this time of the game. Maybe that was strategic. Maybe it was really smart. Bears get the ball. And let's just kind of go through this. Let's just talk it through. So first and 10 at the 50-yard line. Run the ball. They run the ball for a yard. And we're back to 2019 where the run game doesn't work. Okay. Fair enough. Second down. Foles throws a really nice pass over the middle to Jimmy Graham, who doesn't come back to the ball at all, waits for it to come into his chest, and it gets knocked away. Third down. Uh, I don't know why Tampa Bay released Anthony Miller in the flat, but they did, and he's able to collect a pretty easy pass and get to the first down marker. It's kind of a gimme. So really good recognition by Foles, good play by Miller, nice to see him make an impact on the game. And they're able to convert on a critical third down. And then there's a little bit of momentum. And what do we do? Perimeter pass behind the line of scrimmage to Montgomery. Loss of a yard. Killer. Tampa Bay calls a timeout. Nick Foles then, uh, it, it can't be overstated how wonderful it is to have this back in the offense. But he's falling back on his heels. Montgomery wheels out to the left. Foles floats it up and it drops right into his hands. Difficult pass. Difficult throw, but exactly what was needed. And those are the critical yards to get in field goal position. So I think that puts them at like the 25-yard line. And so here it is, right? It's about a minute 30 left. The Bears are at the 25. And we've been in this position before as Bears fans where they're in position to make a kick. There's no question about it. They're definitely in range. But we don't trust the kicker, A. B, we don't really trust the offense to continue to get positive yards. And C, the play calling is suspect. So which one of these things is going to come up? I don't know about you, but I 
was watching that entire sequence with trepidation. On the one hand, I say just run it into the line three times, run down the clock and get a field goal kick off because at least you'll get a shot at it. The second one is don't at all settle for a field goal. Keep pushing down the field. Keep trying to get yards. My God, get a touchdown. Like, don't stop whatsoever. And the third is uh, don't call these horrible perimeter plays that haven't worked all game, haven't worked all season. But here we go. Let's see what happens. So first down, run the ball a yard, and we're back to that again. We're going to come back to that. Second, you get a frustrating deep throw. Why Nagy keeps calling these on downs where just moving the chains or even getting short gains are really, really helpful. Why these low percentage perimeter throws to Allen Robinson and or Mooney keep getting thrown, I don't know. But on a second and nine with a minute left in the game, Nick Foles throws a 50-50 ball to the perimeter that, um, you know, Allen Robinson gets his hands on, defender gets his hand on, and it's incomplete. And incomplete is a pretty good result given where the ball was and what could have happened and what did happen in the first quarter when the same play went for an interception when Allen Robinson couldn't handle it and bobbled it up in the air. I don't understand the play call. What's the value there? Shit, this was supposed to be positive. So third down, you get a short crosser for Allen Robinson for five yards. I don't understand that either, but at least the clock is still moving in that point. at that point. Uh, or it, actually, it's not because it causes Tampa Bay to burn their last time out. So they have a minute 17 left instead of about 38 seconds, something to that effect. Doing horrible backup napkin math, and I don't have any napkins. So it's a critical 40 seconds that stays on the clock. Cairo Santos, I don't know if you, I really, really recommend you go back and watch the broadcast here. He. Looks like a golfer lining up a putt for a million dollars. He steps to it. He's about to step back, take his two steps back and his two steps to the left, which we've all done. If any of us have ever gone out with our buddies to kick a field goal, you got to take two back. You got to take two to the left. That's how field goals work. He takes his two back and he doesn't really like it. So he goes back to the center again. He takes his two back. He stands and he looks. He paces two to the left. He does not give the snapper approval to take the hike. He thinks about it. He looks up. He measures. He centers his chest. Then, and I got to tell you, I was, did not feel good at all about that. I did not think that was going in. But sure enough, uh, he puts it up. It gets the fade ski right through the middle. I have to say, as an aside, if your field goal kicker, just like the natural shape of, of the ball flight, what would you like less than a fade ski, right? Like one thing, I, God forbid it be like, remember Paul Edinger just like flip his whole body around and that bad boy was the straightest, no curve, up and down straight shot of all time. God knows Robbie Gold just absolutely straight or just a little bit of draw. And as somebody who plays a lot of golf, just a little bit of draw, that's like pro style shit right there. That's the real stuff. Uh, fade ski is the, um, ball flight of an amateur <laughs> golf. So seeing it and depending on it from a field goal kicker is not confidence inspiring. That said two kicks for Cairo Santos in the second half, both critical, both right through the uprights. So God bless the man way to go, Carlos. And if you don't get that joke, you, uh, don't listen to old radio hits on the Hogan Johns podcast. 
And yeah, what can I say about the last drive? Look, you got the all-time goat, the goat, going in with a minute 17 left against a defense that's really pounded him, especially late in the second half, really gotten to him and really rattled him. And, and you know, the Buccaneers are injured. There's no Godwin. There's no Fournette. To whatever degree you think that matters, Gronkowski looks like, and I think this is Danny Kelly on Twitter that said this, uh, looks like a B-52 coming back with like holes in the wings, half a tail, flames shooting out of one engine, trying to land on an aircraft carrier. Honestly, and I really hate this, there are those times in uh, sports where you're just like, I really want that guy to not play anymore because it bums me out to watch him playing the sport. Like he's so nicked up. And it's so past his time. It just doesn't look fun. It looked like he's having a really bad time. I've never seen a guy that big avoid contact more. I just feel like he should go back to the CBD biz because this ain't it, man. I think Tommy Tampa, big bro Tommy came in, was like, hey, bro, we'll have so much fun. It'll be the fun fest. We'll win in Tampa Bay. It'll be good weather. We'll be doing it. It's you and me. And Gronk was like, yeah. And now he's there, and he hates it. He hates it. I really want Rob Gronkowski to re-retire. It ain't it. Just Cameron Brate's your guy. Make him your new tight end one. So sorry, Gronky. You're a mascot. You're wearing street clothes the rest of the year. Super bummer. Anyways, there are really no weapons for Tampa Bay. The Bears are getting a pass rush and starting to squeeze on him as the game goes along. And yeah. He forgot what fucking down it was. I don't care what the press conference says. I don't care what Bruce Arian says after. I don't care what Tom Brady says after. That dude forgot it was fourth down. And if that is Mitch Trubisky, Chicago is alight this evening. There are flames shooting out of apartment building and house windows, not because there are fires, but because out of the eyes and ears and mouths of the citizens of Chicago, uh, fire it has spawned and is going to be emitted across the city. It would be an unforgivable act that would inspire laughter and tears and a lot a lot of terrible words, both for me and in print, all around the city of Chicago and the nation and likely the world. What the Bears fans of India would think during a time like that. Tommy forgot uh, through an incomplete pass that uh, his receiver had to defend from being intercepted. And that was a wrap. And all of a sudden, the Bears are 4-1. and one. And that is the last part of the good news that I want to say, which is the Bears are fucking 4-1. and one. And 4-1 and one teams generally go to the playoffs. Uh, I, let's go back to the uh, schedule machine. Chicago Bears schedule. All right. 4-1. and one. They're supposed to play the Panthers next Sunday. So we got a mini-buy now. The Panthers, look. They might be okay, and as the schedule develops and we kind of are going through this thing, said it again, it's just as annoying to say as it is to hear. Good to know. You know what? Before I go any further with the schedule, I'm dumb. Let's go to some advertising. You've counted on restaurants. Now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. 
Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Those are our favorite national restaurants? God, America, do better. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on the way. And right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on the first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off your... That's $5 off your order and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Okay, I'm done being dumb. Back to the schedule. So you're 4-1. and one. You got the Panthers. And while they're a little bit better, hey, there's a, you at least go into that thinking that the Bears have a good possibility especially playing for the first time in three weeks, a lesser defense, a more manipulable defense, one that you might fucking be able to run the ball on if you knew how. Then you got the Rams. That's a tough one. We've talked about that before. That's going to be a tough test. Um, You know, the Rams have a good operation and they have Aaron Donald. It's just the tough part of the schedule. So it's the Rams and the Saints back to back. So let's say the Bears win one of those three games. Hey, they're five and three. They're still in a really good place. And then you have the, uh, and I do not intend to make any light of this whatsoever, the COVID decimated Titans who, you know, this is, the game is scheduled for November 8th. Who knows where the country is on November 8th. But if this country is to lurch forward any further, there will be a game against the Tennessee Titans. And who knows what the state of that team is. If they're healthy, if they can all suit up, if the game is even on, uh, that will be a great test for the Bears. Then you have the Vikings, which who have struggled deeply this year. There are myriad issues with their young defense. You'd like to think that the Bears are going to take one of the games they're going to play against them this year. Then you roll through the rest of them. you got the Lions and the Texans and the Jaguars coming up. There are wins on the schedule. The Bears really just need to go 500 the rest of the year, and they're in the playoffs. So... You got to feel good about that. I, for one, can't believe it. And there was a tweet. Uh, I even marked it just so I can kind of pull it up from John C. Zahor. The The Bears had a 99.3% chance of lose, win probability for losing uh, against the Falcons, 98.3 against the Lions, and 93.3 tonight against the Buccaneers. So 4-1, and one, yes. But my God, my God, it's it's sort of inexplicable that the Bears keep winning these games. And I'd love to feel great about it. I, I really would. But it's time to talk about what this team needs to do to actually represent winning football. So let's talk about the challenging things. Number one, and let's get the small stuff out of the way. If you look at the Bears box score, you're not going to find Robert Quinn's name in the defensive stats. Bubkiss, zero. And I'm watching him on the field, and I'm thinking, Leonard Floyd at least could cover in the flat. Uh, The Bears are getting jack and shit from Robert Quinn right now, and they paid a hefty price and cut Leonard Floyd and his you know, whatever unrecognized potential he still had loose 
in order to uh, bring him into the fold. And save for a forced fumble on his first play from scrimmage this year, he's been largely absent from the Bears' defensive stats. And, you know, it doesn't show up on the on the film either. He was bottled up all night, and for a Buccaneers offensive line that was giving up pressure to a number of guys, Bilal Nichols was in the backfield. Khalil Mack, as we said, was a super god. Uh, I saw Roy Robertson-Harris back a couple times. I saw uh, Roquan Smith going through on on run blitzes. Quinn was absolutely absent, and it's a problem for the Bears going forward. Akeem Hicks was weirdly out uh, a couple different series, and I don't know if it was to get a blow or it was just um, maybe it was a little nicked up, but you, you certainly saw him pushing the pocket on Brady. Critically important that he was doing so. Um, the Bears need more from Quinn. And then, likewise, before we get into specifics, the run defense is a mess. It's a mess. And I'm not a smart enough guy to know if this is really just about personnel. Is Eddie Goldman really that important? I mean, I understand that he's a near Pro Bowl or Pro Bowl alternate high-level player, especially in the run game. And the Bears' defense is predicated around having him in there to kind of keep second-level defender or, excuse me, second-level offensive linemen off of linebackers and that sort of thing so they can flow to the ball. But holy shit. Robert Jones Jr. or the second. How can you be a second? Robert Jones Jr. is a second. So Robert Jones Jr. I'm going to call him Jr. from now on since he seems to want to call himself the second. So Jr. gashed the Bears all night long over 100 yards uh, to, let's see, uh, 17 for a buck 06. Fuck. That's a 6.2 average. Uh, he had a, a long run of 37. Tackling was a huge issue. Roquan Smith was in the backfield twice uh, in a position to dump Jones for a loss. He spun out both times for really quality gains. Tackling is a huge issue for the Bears and run defense. Run fits uh, and edge setting are huge issues right now for the Bears. And if they don't get it ironed out soon, it's going to become a bigger issue as we go along. And the reason is that the Bears can't get off the field on third down as often as they need to. So there's two things that are going on here. And again, I'm complaining about the Bears' defense a little bit. They're not the problem. We're going to get to the problem. We're starting small. We're going to go big. The Bears have been bending but not breaking, and that's the structure of their defense and what they're trying to do. Here's what I miss, and we got that Kyle Fuller play, so there was a taste of it this year, but who feels dangerous in the secondary? Like, when the Bears put up the ball for, for a pass, I'm concerned about certain players in the secondary making plays on the ball. Like, James Bradbury against the Giants, you know, against the Giants. I, I never actually, I didn't really know James Bradbury was that kind of playmaker, but I got to tell you, as that game went along, I didn't want the ball going in his direction. Eddie Jackson is supposed to be that guy. He is one of the highest paid safeties in the NFL. I have yet to see him in a position to break on the ball, to read his keys and break on the ball the way that he was asked to do in the Fangio defense and the way he seemingly isn't in uh, the Bears' current iteration. And I don't really understand why that is. But nobody really feels dangerous in the secondary. It feels soft and shelly and almost preventy. So when you have a situation like uh, early on in this game and at a couple different points in the game where the defensive line gets no pressure whatsoever and 
in this case, Tom Brady can sit back there and pat the ball. I have uh, every belief that that ball is going to be completed. And there were a couple different plays that were just like maddening that the Bears allowed them to, to continue their drives. Third and 15, Tampa Bay is completely pushed out of position, and they tried to implode a number of different times. Their third quarter drive that I think had seven flags on it and Tom Brady lit into his team on the sideline right afterwards. One of the most delicious things I've ever seen, by the way. You could hear it on the mics just because there's no crowd noise. Tom Brady screaming is just, oh my God, what a delicious set of sounds that is. Third and 15, no pressure. Brady sits back there for like six seconds, runs around, and then throws up a wobbling duck that somehow falls over the coverage and into his into... I want to say Brate's hands and they convert a dumb third and 15 when the bears absolutely should have been off the field. And then I don't know why it, I understand it didn't get completed, but with late in the third quarter at a critical moment, it's third and fucking 27 Brady whips a ball down the field. I look and Mike Evans is running free with Jalen Johnson trailing by about four yards. And if Brady puts it on him, it is a touchdown and a backbreaker. I have to say, now Jalen Johnson, this is one of those things where you look at the stats, you look at his draft position, you look at the people he's playing around. He's a rookie, no rookie mini camp, no training camp, no preseason. All that context is critically important. But I think the league is starting to understand that you can beat Jalen Johnson deep. I've seen it a number of times now over these first four games, and that little moment right there was glaring. And if that ball is completed, and there have been instances like this uh, in other games, the view we have of his progress so far this year is completely different. Now, I know that it didn't happen. I know that those points didn't go on the board. But I looked at that play and thought, man, we're fucking lucky. We're so lucky because almost counter to the Bears offense when uh, a defensive team no matter what happens on first and second down if they push it back it's third and 10 or even longer third and 13 third and 15 third and 27 I have no real faith that the Bears are going to get off the field until the play is made on third down and then I look around the screen to see if there's any yellow on offense it's the exact opposite it's if the Bears have third and one, I'm still not sure they're going to be able to push for a first down. And that's the bigger thing that I'd really like to talk about, which is the construct of the Bears offense. And now that Mitch is out of the picture, that the spotlight needs to fall on Nagy for what he hasn't done to create an identity. Let's listen to the tiniest little bit of advertising and come back to at least critically talk about Matt Nagy's ability as a coach, as a play caller, as a game plan designer. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, although you might, but you can still be in on, in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. 
head to bet online today and take advantage of all these great sign-up bonuses and don't forget to use promo code blue wire at betonline.ag that's blue wire all one word bet online your online sportsbook experts all right matt nagy and his ability as an offensive guru head coach his role was to develop quarterbacks and to run a premier NFL innovative offense that stays ahead of trends and sets the Bears up for success, not just today, but into the future, an infrastructure that you can build around. And I am telling you, as someone who has watched the game for, I don't know, 35 years, fuck, I'm getting old. The body language of the Bears suggests that they don't believe in what is being run that they don't think there is a cohesive plan in place to succeed, that it's up to the individual players to make plays in spite of what's being called offensively. And I'm looking in the field, and I see Jimmy Graham dropping his shoulders when a certain play is called. I'm seeing Nick Foles, I mean, as close as Nick Foles is going to get to berating a coach on the sidelines, telling him that what Nagy was doing was counteracting the quality on the field. And then David fucking Montgomery, who is left to the wolves to create whatever he can and get whatever yardage he can. The bears run game is a mess. And I understand they're up against one of, if not the best run defense in the league before Vita Vea went out, but we're back to 2019 running the ball, both in commitment to it and overall game plan creation. Like, these things are all supposed to complement one another so that when you call one, the defense is thinking about what you did previously in a formation, and that affects their ability to defense the call you just made. Not curl flats for the 19th time, and not all these fucking perimeter throws. Let's just get specific. Third quarter, halftime adjustments have been made. They've looked at the film. They see what's out there. And Nagy throws two behind-the-line-of-scrimmage throws on the on the beginning of the third-quarter drive that is the quickest three-and-out ever. And I just wonder, is it not possible to get tight-end crossers or curls over the middle? I understand Mitch had a terrible time looking over the line, would get the ball batted down a lot, would stare people down. That isn't the case anymore with Foles. And I, uh, there was the one play to Graham that, you know, late in the fourth, fourth quarter on the last drive – an intermediate route with Graham in cutting. We still haven't seen Cole Komet get the ball. And Matt Nagy himself in a press conference is saying he is an ascendant player and it's our fault that he hasn't gotten the ball yet. He had an entire night to get the ball to him. An entire evening. Nothing. Bubkiss. Not one throw. Not one throw. Uh, even worse, not one target. What is that? What are we talking about? 16 targets for Allen Robinson tonight. 16. Second, David Montgomery with eight. And so credit where credit's due, I think one of the things you might look at from a game planning standpoint is, all right, when it comes to just running the ball, we're going to really, really struggle tonight. And we need to use David Montgomery and do short passes to get him involved in the game and get perimeter touches that can almost be seen as runs. And I think that's some of the construct of Nagy's offense is throwing to running backs and using them as extended runs, so to speak. 
I just want to go out and say that punting on running the ball going into the game, creating a game plan that says we can't run the ball against you, so we're really not going to, sucks. It sucks. The Bears offense still has no identity, and it falls on Matt Nagy. There need to be, on a given team, let's call them five or six plays that even when the team knows it's coming, you fucking execute it so well that they can't stop it. The Green Bay Packers outside zone of the Brett Favre's, they were getting five to eight yards every time they ran it just because of how well they ran it. And some of this is on the fact that the Bears don't have a good offensive line. They have one of the worst run-blocking offensive lines in the NFL. That's just the nature of the beast. But, like, you look at how they did the first two weeks of the season, the commitment to the run, the quality of it, and then they ran into the Indianapolis Colts and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And now we're in this purgatory of, did the Bears just have bad opponents and still have a bad run game? Or do they have a decent run game now and they're up against good opponents? For me, I just feel like in in terms of running the ball, you should be able to impose your will somewhat over time that your commitment to doing it during the game suggests that late in the game, you'll be able to get pushed to get the yards you need. And it isn't going to be this thing where it's just Nick Foles running for his life because the defense knows there's nothing to do but throw the ball. That falls on Matt Nagy. When he talks about getting in a better rhythm, that falls on Matt Nagy. And my God, the third quarter, third quarter? Fourth quarter drive, because it began in the third quarter, ended in the fourth. The Bears have the mo. They have momentum. They're running down the field. There's, you know, Nick is starting to like see the field and and you can see that Tampa Bay is on their heels. And you get this really, really nice first down to Allen Robinson. And then Nick is trying to get nice Nick, like he's my friend. Foles is trying to get on the uh, get up to the line, get going because he's got the look he wants. He's got them questioning. He doesn't want them to sub personnel. Nagy slows it down and puts in his favorite toy, Cordero Patterson, because he had a special play. He had a special play on his card, and he wanted to call it. His special play was two running backs, and it was going to get Cordero Patterson a corner route. And what it got was the Bears fumbling the ball, and it got Bobby Massey's second touch of the season, which, by the way, is two more touches than fucking Cole Komet, who, from all reports, seems to have good hands and seems to be a guy that should be involved in the passing game to even a minor degree. That would be a an element that a defense would have to prepare for. If you're a defensive coordinator preparing for the Bears right now, you're preparing for behind the line of scrimmage or just beyond the line of scrimmage perimeter throws. You're looking at Allen Robinson curls. Uh, you're looking at Cordero Patterson runs. Jimmy Graham in the red zone all day. And then maybe a weird deep shot to Mooney, maybe a deep over to Miller, but you're not so worried about that. It's really frustrating. It's come time to say that the Bears' offensive philosophy and identity isn't good enough. And if they don't create one quickly with the help of Nick Foles uh, and build around him, this is not going to be a very fun second half of the season or whatever we're in now, second two-thirds of the season. Just for food for thought, and I understand this is kind of like a negative rant given that we're 4-1-1 and one and one tonight, but like, 
you brought Nick Foles in because he was the guy you wanted. To not have a plan in place at this point, to be figuring it out five games into the season is un-fucking-acceptable. It's unacceptable. I understand that when Mitch was under center, you were going to run more play action, run with his legs more. I also understand you are just coming to know Nick Foles and you 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 uh, haven't worked with him in the past. You haven't called plays for him before. Isn't that what Bill Lazor is for? Isn't that what John DiFilippo is for? Wasn't the whole point of bringing them in that they had experience with Foles, knew what he could run, knew what was going to work for him? Are they not on the headsets with Nagy? I don't understand what's going on there. What I do understand is that Nagy has horse blinders when he's calling a game, that he sees things on the card that he likes, that he um, either through ego or, eh, I don't think it's ego. I just feel like the moment seems to be too big for him in, during games because clock management is an issue, play calling becomes an issue, and not seeing what's going on on the field and leaning in on it is an issue. All this like retroactive and uh, introspective analysis that happens during his press conferences of things not being good enough, of certain guys needing the ball more, those things need to be happening in-game and moment-to-moment and play-to-play. You see when you watch the Bears throwing the ball that routes are being jumped, That um, and again, some of that is about not being able to complete deep passes, but it does seem like defenders are well-placed more often than not for what the Bears are trying to do. Not all the time. There are, there were definitely a few routes tonight where I'm like, okay. For instance, the wheel route, which I keep coming back to. And it won't be magic every week. It won't work all the time. But just seeing that reincorporated into the offense was a godsend because it worked every time they ran it in 2018 and of the few times they ran it in 2019, and then we never saw it again. So it's tough, man. It's tough. Uh, part of bringing in all these coaches, DiFilippo, Laser, and uh, Juan Castillo, does feel like, well, I don't have enough of a plan here, so let's bring in all these minds, let's mind meld them, and uh, see what we come up with. And on some level, it's too many cooks in the kitchen. It's upon Nagy to, be, to say, this is our core identity, this is how we are going to exert ourselves against other teams and impose our will against other teams, and let's build things off of that. And three years in, we still don't have it. That's on him, and it's going to be the downfall of this team if they don't solve it fast, quick, and in a hurry. But that's enough of the negative. At the end of the day, the Bears had a two-minute offense where they needed to move down the field to get in field goal range, to put up a kick, to win the game, and they did it. They did it. Nick Foles was able to move this offense, create a little bit of momentum, make the big play when it had to happen. And I have to say, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers rush was getting home like crazy in the second half, especially after, and it needs to be mentioned, the peck injury to James Daniels, who uh, will now be going for an MRI and peck injuries. When have you ever seen a peck injury go like, hey, it was no big deal. He stretched it and he'll be back in a week. Generally, they're season enders. Uh, I am not reporting that. I am merely positing that it, it's never a good thing. 
and Alex Bars took his place and immediately gave up a, a sack to Vitavea. So that doesn't bode well for the Bears' already struggling O-line. James Daniels was taking a step forward this year, and to lose him would be a big, big hit. Overall, it's just kind of a question of what they're going to be able to do with that unit going forward. I think in this offseason, you can almost guarantee that the Bears will be investing new draft assets in O-linemen because the run game and the push they're able to get there just isn't really enough. Back to the drive, though, and I think Adam Hogue said it really well uh, in a tweet that that moment, being able to move the ball and get that kick up and get a W was really a critical confidence-building moment for a team. And these things do stack, and that is the way the NFL works, which is, you know, some years you're able to stack a few wins, <clears throat> and it they start rolling downhill and they start building on one another. You create a belief that, you know, whatever may go on during the course of a game, no matter how bad it may be in a moment, that you can come away with a W. And consequently, it could be a game like last year where no matter what you're doing, you fixed the thing from last week, but then the penalties showed up, and the penalties showed up, and then the guy dropped the ball, but then you got it to another guy, and it didn't happen, and that sort of thing, where you're just always trying to plug leaks, and they keep on popping up. The Bears are a winning football team, and they might continue to do it to the point that they believe themselves into better situations, and actually put together four quarters one day, and have a resoundingly you know, convincing win. I, for one, am here for it. In the meantime, I'm going to watch this Sunday's games freely and openly and without anxiety, maybe a little fantasy anxiety, maybe a little betting anxiety, but no Bears anxiety, and that I really appreciate. And we'll come back here next Sunday to play the very young but plucky Carolina Panthers and to see if the Bears can go five and fucking one. The Bears win. It's a good one, a weird Thursday nighter, and have finally gotten their first victory ever against Tom Brady thanks to his senior moment. That's one to end on. You guys stay well, stay safe. Go Bears. We'll see you.